Oh, hello. <laughs> Didn't see you there. My name is Kevin Satorius, a guest of the podcast Nerds on History, to share with you our other wonderful and fun-filled podcast, Nerds on Film. I, along with the hosts, Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, and David McGuire, love to talk about movies and would love to share that with you. Come join us as we share stories, debates, and theories of our favorite movies and new releases, too. As a frequent guest of Nerds on Film, if you're a movie fan like me, you'll want to grab some popcorn and a cool beverage to sit back, relax, and enjoy our show. Okay, here we go. Oh, man. <laughs> have I got a surprise for you. You have a surprise? Yep. What? I got a band to actually come in for the episode. No. Yeah. What? <laughs> I don't know what to say. That's 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 incredible. What kind of band? What, what do you think? I, it's I, a mariachi band. A mariachi band? That's what the episode is about. A mar- the history of the mariachi. Uh, Eric. <laughs> We're... We're doing the history of the Moriarty's. My family history, not mariachi. Oh, my God. I flew them from Mexico. You flew them from Mexico? From Mexico. It cost me $7,000 to fly them from Mexico. Oh, my God. You you know what? You better have some Mexican heritage because we're going to make this work. Well, there was my great uncle. He was half Mexican. What was his name? Oh, yeah. His name was uh, Don Francisco Javier del Corazón Sagrado Moriarty. Really? No. <sighs> Boys, hit it. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Eric Brickmont. And I am Brian Moriarty. Yes, you are of the famous Moriarty family. Yes, which we now know is has some Mexican heritage. <laughs> as well (laughs) um you know i I spent my entire tax return did you yeah hang on play that sound that's that's the mariachis that i'm sending back (laughs) to mexico (laughs) listeners you can hear my money flying through the sky right now i don't know if you can guys hear it there's a plane passing over the nerd cave right now uh well done sir well done i had to time it perfectly of course (laughs) That that actually cost me seven thousand dollars to time that joke. I I I'm, I am so sorry. Wow, a treasure wasted. My apologies. <laughs> okay, well, hello, listeners. We have got a really good show, and despite what we suggested in the beginning, we are not doing an episode on either mariachis or on the uh, history of Brian's family. Although that would be an interesting episode to do. Maybe, yeah. I mean, the history of the Brickmonts would be kind of interesting too we might need a couple episodes uh, would you we go back a long way do you, well, we, we go back to ireland i, I think i've only been in the, this country well i've been in this country my whole life but i think my family's been in this country about five generations or so yeah, i'm i'm a fourth generation my kids are fifth and we came here in 1860 to california and Six. my family traces directly back to belgium to about the 1650s to my seventh great-grandfather Seriously. Seventh great-grandfather? Yeah. Wow. Seriously. We should do that episode. I've decided. Okay. I'm, I'm making an executive decision with the no existing power that I have. <laughs> and we we are going to do a history of our families. And you know what? Maybe one day we'll do a history of the mariachi as well, because I'm sure it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. You might even say that saying we were going to do the history of the mariachi uh, was actually a bit of a misnomer. Uh, it was a little bit, wasn't it? And what a coincidence, considering... That's what this entire episode is about. Misnomers, misconceptions, and just straight-up fallacies. That's true, because history is loaded with them. Yeah, and I'll be honest, in doing the research for this particular episode, I was educated. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of things that I thought were real, and turns out I was either straight-up wrong or just slightly misinformed. But really interesting stuff. Yeah. So, in doing this research for this uh, particular episode, I came across a really excellent book. Uh, It's called The Book of Common Fallacies, Falsehoods, Misconceptions, Flawed Facts, and Half-Truths That Are Ruining Your Life, as written by Philip Ward with contributions by Julia Edwards. There you go. This is the third edition. Uh, They've put out a few starting back in the 80s and uh, most recently just 2012, so just last year. Yeah, well, there's a book that I found, too, for this episode called History's Greatest Lies. Ooh. 
Yeah. I like that. Pretty, that's, that's a catchy title. It's a very catchy title. Yours is more like a like a, an anthology of just specific items. Right. That, it covers everything, you know, one factoid at a time, topic by topic, and sometimes breaks off into kind of little um, subtopics that kind of tie in. But it's it's really well done. I got it in the iBook store for like 10 bucks. And I encourage you folks, it's a really interesting read. So by all means, pick it up. Sure. And the book that I'm going to refer to a few times uh, is by William Weir, also available on the iBook store. I'm sure available in and other locations. History's uh, Greatest Lies. History's Greatest Lies. Very interesting. Yeah. Though, interestingly enough, I was looking through this, and there's a couple of the major ones that I already kind of knew. Yeah. I mean, I encountered a few things where, you know, for example, how many of us were told by our mothers or fathers, don't go swimming until you've waited at least 30 minutes after you've eaten. Oh, of course. I remember I've heard that, that a million yeah. times. So these, these are also old wives' tales you're talking about. Right, exactly. The idea is that if you go swimming after you eat, the digestion that's going on in your stomach will cause you to cramp. And if you cramp, then you can't swim. And if you can't swim, you drowned. And there's absolutely no truth behind this at all. Uh, there's no scientific evidence at all to suggest that if you eat, immediately entering the water afterwards, you're going to be in trouble. No, though you may not feel all that great, though. Depending well, on how yeah, you are. You might have had a you know, great big meal, right? And you feel awful because you just you need a time to digest your food. But you know, if you have a banana or you know, grilled cheese sandwich or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Odd combination of things to eat right before going in the pool. But really? I would think so. I mean, I don't know, it's just maybe it's just me. But it's entirely you because grilled cheese sandwiches and bananas have been eaten poolside for generations in my family. Oh, okay. No, that's not true. <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, when's this gonna end? So <laughs> <laughs> insane but yeah it's very interesting in fact i could pull up a million of them i'm just gonna pull up one that really shocked me and it's so funny because i was at work today and i was talking to one of my coworkers who's gotten married relatively recently and i asked her have did you walk down the aisle when you got married and she says well it wasn't in a church but yeah i walked down the aisle i said are you sure she says yes turns out brides don't walk down the aisle they walk down the center passage the aisle, which is, you know, derived from the French word wing, would have been, you know, one of the large passages on the on the sides, on the ends of where everybody would be sitting. And so it's actually right down the middle, which is just the central passage. I see. Interesting. But, you know, it's one of those little things where you've you've heard it your whole life and you've always thought it made sense to you. You you immediately recognize what it is, but you don't actually walk down the aisle. Sorry. Sorry, brides. You don't. While we're on the subject of weddings real quick, uh the very famous phrase, till death do us part. Very iconic. You mm-hmm. hear it all the time. You see it in movies. People say it on the altar there. Um, but it was never originally, till death do us part. Uh, in fact, originally, uh, back in 1662, uh, it was uh, till death us depart, which I thought was interesting, the way that it's kind of evolved. And uh, one of the very first examples uh, that we see it actually written down uh, it states that, uh, and this is uh, this is an excerpt from from something written quite a while ago. But the closest union here cannot last longer than till death us depart. And f- for whatever reason, we have uh, shortened it down, rephrased it, and then adopted it uh, into our into our wedding vows now. And it is until death do us part. It sounds a little more grammatically correct too. Yeah. Well, why don't we focus on some events in history that we think and we hold true that actually are either partially incorrect or just totally false? Uh, well, I've got a good one for you. Go ahead. Uh, in fact, we may have talked about this on an episode before, so I could be correcting myself right now. I'm not quite sure. The Caesarean section. Okay, right. The actual term Caesarean section. It was named after, practice. supposedly after Cleopatra and the uh, her well, child. See, now that's what I always thought. Yeah. And then uh, I've now come across another reference to actually stating that it was the birth of Caesar, not the birth of Caesarean, Caesar's son, that actually brings about the Caesarean section, even though Caesarean literally means little Caesar, hmm. um, not the pizza. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> we're thinking the same thing. That baby, however, is hot and ready, but it's not in five minutes. <laughs> Well done. (laughs) Thank you. Um, What's interesting, though, is that apparently this is not the case. Oftentimes in ancient history, when a cesarean section was performed, it was last-ditch effort just to save the child. And it was usually as a result of the death of the mother during childbirth that the child would have to be removed from the body if it had not 
you know, come forth naturally. And so that's why the cesarean section was performed. Was Caesar the first time where it took place where the mother didn't die? Like it was the mother lived? Because I don't remember reading anything in Caesar's history about him growing up motherless. Uh, no, his mother lived. His mother lived uh, for quite a few years after his birth, his, his mother Julia. And there's no evidence at all that she ever had a cesarean performed. Clearly, it didn't happen to Cleopatra, because Cleopatra lived for a few years after her son was born, before you know things became unfortunate for her. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, apparently, there's, there's no direct connection. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, since we're talking about the Romans for a second, here's a good one for you. So tell me, Eric, what do you remember about the Emperor Nero? Not a very nice guy. Not a very nice guy. And that, that part is true. He yeah. was not the greatest emperor. Had a tendency to, to murder. And, uh, and, and yeah, that was, yeah, he that had was his, bad. He had his mom murdered, actually. Yes. That, those things are true. However, what do we remember the most about Nero? Uh, well, of course, he's notorious for said, being said to have played his... Uh, his um, fiddle. His fiddle, right. His fiddle mm-hmm. while, while the city burned, while Rome burned. Yeah, and even more so in theatrical costume. Too. Right. That's the, but it is also totally false. Really? Yeah. First of all, the fiddle is an anachronism. Fiddles didn't exist in first century Rome. Okay. That makes sense. This is according to Weir. If it was anything, it would have been a lyre. All right. Which is close to a harp, basically. Yeah. yeah. A little more difficult to prance around and about and play, right. but I'm sure someone may have found a way. Sure. That being said, still, there is no evidence of that there is evidence that even though he was not the greatest human being that he was still the emperor of rome and he like any emperor was trying to to (laughs) save the city because no everything including his palace would have burned to the ground if he hadn't so yeah again total misnomer Hmm. there yeah another one i found interesting uh is another one we were taught in as early as i would say fourth grade maybe even third grade why did christopher columbus sail west well because obviously it was an accident but how why did he why did he sail on his famous voyage all right, all right well it was to get to india right to open up new trade routes with india that's part of it yes but what was what was he trying to prove that the portuguese can sail really well come on work with me here all right maybe you're more educated than most of us <laughs> um, because the conception i was taught was to prove that the earth wasn't flat hmm yeah but the truth is actually we knew the Earth wasn't flat. We, we had known for quite some time. We had known for 2,000 years that the Earth wasn't flat. Right, yeah, right, Human right. science has accepted the, the orb theory, I think, from around the, the, the Greeks or the Romans. Oh, absolutely, yeah, from as far back as the Greeks. And while there were a couple of people around that time period who legitimately believed the Earth was flat, they didn't have any form of credibility. And I guess that makes sense. I mean, really, honestly, if he thought the Earth was flat, he probably would have been a lot more off course than he actually Right, all these calculations were based off the fact that the, the Earth was round. Now, either he's just a brilliant mathematician, What's more likely is that the Earth was round and he was able to calculate based off of what was science that was already there. Exactly. And he didn't know North America existed, so if North America hadn't existed, he would have eventually yeah. ended up in that India. That part was still luck. Yeah. Pure luck. Because he was trying to get to India, like you said, and he <laughs> was way off, obviously. Uh, because, but he thought you know, he could go from the left to go around the other side. You're right. He thought he could cut around instead of having to go all the way around. He just didn't realize he was going to run into, you know, another continent. Yeah, and true, if North America wasn't there, he probably would have eventually gotten there. Interesting. Um, But lo and behold, he's discovered San Salvador. Not the United States, as we talk about. (laughs) Yes, he did not land in Virginia. He actually never touched North America at all. Or South America. I I guess you count the Caribbeans as... I think the Caribbeans count as, as North America. Okay. If well, you really, if you really divided it as North and South America, I would say Central America would uh, connect to the North. Gotcha. Well, yeah. either way, he never touched the mainland continents. He touched islands. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking though of famous folks from history, and tying back a little bit into Nero and megalomania and what have you, um, how about Marie Antoinette? Oh, of course. There was a very, very famous quote from Marie Antoinette. Of course, um, and I believe um, it goes. They don't have bread, let them eat cake. Well, there's that one. And there's also, I am not Kirsten Dunst. (laughs) Sorry. Yes, that is, of course, very true. If the peasants have no bread, let them eat cake. And um, this is not quite true. No, she never said that, right? No, she never said it. It is believed to be associated with her. You know, at a later time, they tied it into her. And it was known kind of at the time, you know, that, that 
the queen was said to have said this, but it wasn't the case at all. Well, who, who wrote it down? Uh, it was a one of the quotations from uh, the Confessions of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Yeah, who was uh, a philosopher in France around the time of the French Revolution. And yeah. uh, the translation from said confession says, I finally recall the thoughtless aporism of a great princess to whom someone said that the peasants had no bread to eat, who replied, then let them eat cake. And it's always been assumed that it was actually uh, Marie Antoinette that Rousseau was talking about, but he never really specified. Uh, and the truth is that uh, he had written that in 1770. And this was a full two years uh, before Marie Antoinette uh, had ever arrived in France, before she'd even gotten there. Gotcha. So it was definitely somebody in the royal family, but oh, it was yeah, not some arrogant her. fool in the, you know, within the inner circle. Yeah. But um, not Marie Antoinette. Yeah. And just to put this in context for people maybe who are a little unfamiliar with the French Revolution, uh, this is a point in time, of course, where, I mean, there were three classes in, in France, and maybe even more, but there was... The, the dominant class, of course, was the nobility and the royal family, right? who had all the wealth, all the resources. And they were pretty much squandering all those resources from just regular peasant folk. And they were getting food that was rotten, if any, if there was any food. And it was really a reflection of the poor economic state and the social unrest that was brewing, which eventually led to, of course, all them being beheaded. So, Speaking yeah. of beheadings yeah dr guillotine invented the guillotine that's a misnomer that's a misnomer what yeah okay uh it's apparently quite understandably uh mistaken he merely emerged as really a proponent of using the guillotine because he saw it as a humane and painless death uh <laughs> seriously yeah it was in fact uh, invented by uh, a german mechanic by the name of schmidt and it was under the direction of a dr antonio luis it's absolutely incredible. Well, the word guillotine does have a certain mystique to it. You don't want to say it to the Schmidt with you. <laughs> doesn't quite doesn't quite have the ring to it. What's very interesting though is actually it was originally known as uh, a Louisian. Oh, well, that makes sense because of Louis being the one who exactly. Uh, and guillotine was not its first victim, as is another popular myth that was passed around. In fact, he outlived the revolution. Uh, he died at the age of seventy six. So there you go. The guillotine was not named after Dr. Guillotine. Well, there you go. Sorry. Here's a big one. Who made that famous ride to warn the uh, Americans that the British were coming? The British are coming. The British are... Well, it's Paul Revere, of course. Israel Bissell. No, it's Paul Revere, of course. No, it's Israel Bissell. No, it's Paul Revere, of course. I don't no, think, of course, was his last name. Israel, but Revere was definitely in there somewhere. Israel Bissell. Israel Bissell. <laughs> so then why were we all taught that it's Paul Revere? Because it sounded better literally <laughs> so there was a real paul revere and he did make a horse ride but it was far shorter than the ride that really took place and when they were developing the song about paul revere the, the nursery rhyme is it well israel bissell didn't quite didn't quite rhyme in that to really catch on didn't really catch on oh. didn't quite have the same roundness to it that paul revere had to it that's true paul revere is a very yeah. profound name are, are you familiar with the um the comedian robert wool no. Robert Wool is a brilliant comedian and he also a history buff. Hmm. And uh, the thing he finds interesting about history is how much of it is a story and how much of it is flat out not true. He had a show on HBO called Assume the Position. <laughs> and it's great because he would literally, he would, he produced like a classroom at these big colleges with, of students uh -huh. and he would do a lecture, this comedic lecture about some real factoids and to him history is like pop culture <clears throat> for example the reason why that whole story of uh, christopher columbus became propagated was because of the novelist washington irving now washington irving what do you know of him as writing um well of course uh sleepy hollow tale of sleepy hollow and right? uh, gosh you know we talked about this on a previous episode too there's another famous book and i can't remember yeah well the one that we didn't talk about is he wrote a novel on the life of christopher columbus oh and that's where all this messed up facts came from but it was intended to be a work of fiction hmm. trouble is books of course were the prevailing medium right in the late 18th early 19th centuries or all the way through the 19th century unfortunately <laughs> it got all mixed together yeah well we do the same thing with tv today do you remember that discovery channel mockumentary that was made all about mermaids and how mermaids were real 
and how they had evolved from human beings. Right. I think um, I think Kathy talked about that when she was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you ever seen it though? No, I never seen it. It's absolutely hilarious because they they take it one hundred percent like yeah, they treat like, it seriously. But it's people not. went into like online forums and thought that this was a real documentary and were upset because the truth was being oppressed and that you know they were worried for the lives of these poor you know commentators who were coming out and saying how brave they were <laughs> it's like oh my lord people really want to believe something they really will believe it you know it's 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 pretty incredible but sorry yeah. mermaids are are not real but it's interesting though that we we can take historical fiction yeah and if it sounds good and the the story the narrative is interesting we we cling to it right another big example is george washington george washington never cut down a cherry tree nope. and nor did he not tell a lie about it yeah this was due to the author mason lock weems and he wrote uh, a, t- a biography called The Life of George Washington with curious anecdotes laudable to himself and exemplary to his countrymen. <laughs> yeah, this is from the Cracked magazine who talked about this. Now, Cracked is, of course, a comedy website, but they do mention some pretty historically accurate data here. And they joke that this is the shortest title his editors could persuade him to publish. <laughs> but um, that is where the, uh, the cherry tree mythos and, of course, his father comes out and scolds him, and he says, Father, right. I cannot tell a lie. Right, right. Um, this is not uncommon at that time period when you're a war hero to have someone novelize your life mm-hmm. and make it this big legend, right? The same thing happened with a lot of war heroes in the early part of the United States. This would be the earliest one because Washington, according to at least this author, was actually kind of boring, kind of this everyday guy who was just really, really good at, at combat, you right. know? And really didn't have an interest in politics. Yeah. But because of his importance, you know, he became our first president and did an exemplary job, of course. He knew it would be a unifying force and that if he didn't do it, the country was going to be in trouble right away. So yeah. he kind of bit the bullet, so to speak, and, you know, decided that, all right. Right. I'll, I'll make that sacrifice. That so I do love I this animation of him punching through a tree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he could actually do that. He's actually he's doing a reverse punch because I actually know that stands from when I was taking karate classes. It's pretty funny. You guys go to crack.com. You can find the article. It's called The Five Most Ridiculous Lies You Were Taught in History Class. <laughs> it talks about Christopher Columbus as well. Another one I'm actually quite fam- I've, I love is uh, the one about Franklin. Franklin the kite oh, and the lightning bolt. of course. Bolt. And the key on the, on Never the string. Because if it happened, it probably would have killed him. <laughs> one. But the thing I love about the way he phrases this is uh, Franklin was a brilliant mind, of course, and he invented lots of things, such as bifocals, the urinary catheter, and freedom. Oh, good times. <laughs> so, in that order. In that order, exactly. <laughs> However, Franklin did have an experiment in mind with this. He just never actually conducted it. Hmm. Pun not intended. But <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless appreciated. <laughs> yes, Speaking uh, of lightning, though, okay, the the key right is oftentimes thought to have been that that catalyst for the lightning. It's what drew it to the kite, right? He f- was flying the key high up, and because to the prove key was, that metal conducts electricity, yeah, right. which you know metal does conduct electricity, but it doesn't attract lightning. No, it can't attract lightning. No, no. what does attract lightning, of course, is uh, you know height. So you know anything that is high up and tall is going to attract lightning. My parents. <laughs> my parents were once caught in a rather serious lightning storm and this was when they were out uh this was back years ago when they were dating and they went out on this um this hike and it was some sort of i don't remember exactly where it was here in california but uh it was some nature hike that they went out with a bunch of group of people and there was a ranger who was there who was kind of leading them around and all of a sudden the weather just turned really bad and the lightning started striking like near them at trees near them and all these people, despite the fact they'd already seen the lightning strike a tree, ran towards trees for cover. And my father said, no. <laughs> if you want to live, come with me. <laughs> and he literally became like a superhero for a short time, like this action hero. And he, he found the most open space he possibly could. And that's where they, they stayed and waited for the Yeah, the that makes sense. I think of lightning rods that are used to harness electricity, uh, mostly for, I think, for glass production. And you, yeah, because you take these giant metal poles and you shove them in the ground. Yeah, that's the safe place to be. No, <laughs> not at all. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put myself near something that can actually harness electricity. Run towards the lightning. <laughs> it won't strike twice. 
which is also another fallacy. <laughs> yeah, lightning can strike twice. In fact, it often does. <laughs> it can strike the same place in quick succession. So while it's probably not going to happen a few minutes later, <laughs> oh, uh, it can happen oh, very that, quickly. That, that's an awful skit. Somebody goes, oh my god. Oh, well, at least it doesn't strike twice. <laughs> oh, what are the odds? <laughs> Actually, oh. pretty good. Oh. Um, this could not get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> the other thing is, apparently, um, going inside doesn't make you 100% safe from lightning. Sure, because it could crash through a window. Yeah, and so if you're in a serious you know, electrical storm, they actually want you to stay away from electronics. Though, ironically, if you are in a car, because of the rubber tires that does dissipate some of the electricity or is that also a myth? that is also a myth rubber does not dissipate the electricity it'll get to you regardless you could walk out there like the michelin man wearing a whole bunch of tires around you and get struck by lightning and you'd be just as dead (laughs) though covered in melted rubber though yes (laughs) all right sorry um you had something interesting from the same time period as franklin and of course and absolutely in fact you know it would have been almost more perfect to tie it in with Marie Antoinette, but that's yeah, fine. Well, this is post the American Revolution, post right. the French Revolution, too. Yeah. So we're traveling in time in, a, in, in sorts. Uh, how about Napoleon? Mm, yeah. When you think of somebody who has a Napoleon complex, what often do you imagine in terms of their uh, stature? Usually they're short and they have to prove themselves because of their short stature. Uh, right. Napoleon was not short. Not for no. the time, anyway. So he was five foot seven. That's not short at all. That's really not short. But it, I mean, if you compare it to the average height of a man today, I think the average height is about five ten. He was about three inches shorter than we are now. But everybody back then was a lot shorter, and not just in Europe, but around the world. Very often, your height is determined by diet and by the quality of that diet over a very sustained period of time within a community. But also and your adaptation to your environment too. That's also very true. Yeah, and you know, it's just. The, the case that uh, he happened to be perfectly average size. There you go. But we interpret him as being much shorter today because he has such a negative association. We have to uh, continue to vilify him in any means possible. All right, now here's another one. So what nationality was Napoleon? I know this one. You do know this one. I do know this one. It's popularly believed that he was French, but he was actually from the island of Corsica. And Corsica being an island that was battled over for numerous times between the the italians and the french right it makes them of invariable or it makes them a variable descent exactly in fact the dialect of french that is spoken in corsica has a very very distinct accent and when he was a a young and up and rising you know soldier he was oftentimes made fun of for his corsican accent so i you know i i'd say that uh, the accent is more of the reason for his megalomania than his height (laughs) that's i'm sure it is yeah the french accent for Napoleon, had to have somewhere a little bit Italian. So I don't know how he sounded, but perhaps he sounded a little bit happy. Like this. Which would be ironic, considering Napoleon (laughs) and what he's known for. Speaking of lunatics... um, (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. The moon. Oh, right. Lunacy. Yeah. Lots of interesting myths. Um, Of course... the, The full moon causes you to have a temporary fit of like mental illness yeah uh and in fact that is of course where the the word lunatic comes from right. luna meaning moon uh but of course there's absolutely no basis in reality for this despite many attempts by modern science to try to prove it right i have seen cited so many different articles of uh attempts to understand behavior in large urban environments uh at times when there's a full moon and I just want to say, is it possible that there perhaps is more crime going on just because there's more light in the you know sky because there's a full moon? Sure. Doesn't that make sense? So I, I, I think it actually makes more sense that the periods leading up and after the full moon, the waning moon, that's when you're, you'd probably see an increase in crime just because it's dark and you can get away with it better if you can see a little better. I don't know. That's my own personal yeah. theory. I'm not citing that from any I have a theory. sources. Yes. I have a theory that all of us have an inner werewolf. That you can't you actually do. come out. <laughs> I can't actually. I, I'm actually a quarter werewolf. Yeah. Uh, anybody who, well, it's if you've been to the beach with Brian, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thank you, Eric, for uh, telling the world uh, about my mutancy. Um, 
but we all have a uh, not a physical werewolf, a spiritual werewolf, if you will, uh, that is waiting, waiting to claw its way out. And uh, the full moon does that because, as we now all know, full moons what activate the werewolf syndrome inside of uh, us. It has no scientific basis whatsoever, <laughs> but that's my theory behind lunacy. Excellent. Well, I think we just confounded the myth even more, and I don't think we've clarified anything with that, but um, that's okay. I think I just made it more ridiculous is what I did, which is, <laughs> which is fine, whatever. So my father uh, has a very particular dessert that he's extremely fond of. Napoleon's? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just said together. Tiny little bowls of ice cream. No. Um... <laughs> No, Napoleons, they're like, they're the sheet cakes that have the frosting with the, um... Oh, I was making a, a Neapolitan Oh, joke. Neapolitan cake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. That's okay. Yeah. Our, our desserts got crossed. However, if you brought those two together, I'm sure they'd be A Napoleon delicious. Neapolitan? Or Neapolitan yeah. Napoleon? Mmm. Mmm, sounds good. I would do it. But one of his favorite desserts is German chocolate cake. Oh, right, of course. And where does German chocolate cake come from, Brian? Germany, of course. No. No? It comes from upstate New York. What? Seriously. Okay. No. Elaborate, please. Well, uh, it was actually invented by a gentleman whose last name just happened to be German. Not German in origin, but the word German. And it became known as the German chocolate cake. Yeah. I was going to say, because coconut is not quite, not very German, is it? <laughs> it's not really, no. No. Um, but yeah, it has absolutely nothing to do with Germany. And uh, the, the hamburger was not invented in Hamburg, Germany. Nor was New York cheesecake invented in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Or the fact that Belgian waffles actually come from France and French fries come from Belgium. Though the Belgians do have a unique waffle called the Brussels waffle. Actually, that's more, that is more based out of France. But the actual Belgian waffle is the street waffle and it's like loaded with sugar. It's like, it's like a, it's like a dessert basically. They put so much sugar in the batter that it becomes a dough <laughs> basically wow. that they pack into the, the iron and, and grill it. Is this different than, than Stroop waffle? Which is like, uh, it's much more Scandinavian, but it's like these little thin uh, wafers of waffle that have caramel in between them and they get smushed together. Yeah, no, this is much more uh, in the, the, I guess, the form of what would closely be like a, like the Brussels waffle. Hmm. The Brussels waffles are like the circular ones, right? Hmm. They're broken into wedges. This is like a square one. It doesn't fill out the iron all the way. You get little like cross-cut strings on the outside left over from it i've had one before uh, an american variation it's really really sweet like you bite into this is like wow listeners welcome to nerds on history the history of waffles yeah uh, which is suddenly evolved into i love i love telling the story of uh we used to have a co-worker who her nickname was waffles right? oh waffles I and love we always waffles. joked someone actually asked her once is your last name really waffles i think it and, might have been me and i thought it would have been i thought it would have been hilarious because i would have said oh yeah of course her great-grandfather the great archibald waffle <laughs> invented the waffle <laughs> but uh yeah. alas no it was no. just a nickname <laughs> just, just this nickname exactly so that would have made an excellent piece of false history uh waffles if you're listening we miss you and uh be well Absolutely. So you mentioned New York cheesecake. Uh, what else is iconic about New York if you think of you know, particular buildings? Uh, Empire State Building right away. Empire State Building. And if you were to travel to New York and be admiring this beautiful state building and somebody were to drop a penny from the top and oh. land it on your head, what would happen to you? Well, supposedly the sheer speed and force of that falling would kill you. It was supposed to be like crush your brain or something <laughs> off on impact <laughs> or go through you. Was it? Was it, it was that's, like, that's the one I always heard that it would be traveling at such velocity, like a bullet. It would pass through your body and actually embed itself in the, uh, in the concrete below. And of course this is absolutely false. No. In fact, people have done this all the time and mostly what ends up happening is you have a really pissed off person on the street because <laughs> exactly. he just got hit with the head with the coin. <laughs> really, but it must have really hurt, but it didn't actually it, kill them it, it would have been a good you know whoop, but you know it would have only been traveling at about 100 miles per hour <laughs> only 100 miles per hour well you think about it think about um baseball professional baseball players they should usually shoot, fire at like 105 at least well sometimes they can get up that high usually it's like in like the 80s and 90s but it's traveling at a really fast speed and if you get hit with a baseball you get beamed as it is uh it could hurt but unless you like get right in the temple or something like that which that itself may be a myth. I have no idea. Uh, that might no. That's you. not a myth. That's definitely okay. Reality. That's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know uh, that that could kill you. But everything else is just going to hurt. 
and that penny is traveling at about the speed of that baseball only it's a whole heck of a lot smaller right well also was it force equals mass times acceleration well not just that but i mean there's that but also the the penny you got to remember is going to tumble so it's going to lose a lot of its energy in that process and it's just not going to kill you yeah and the force with which you get hit wouldn't be all that great because the penny is really really light yeah exactly so So, you know we're not at all advocating the dropping of change from the empire state building which i'm pretty sure you can get in some serious trouble for i'm pretty sure you can get arrested for it actually yeah so so don't do that um actually billy one of our listeners you live in new york or in new york state at least can you clarify that for us that'd be great yeah, Hit go up, up on there, Twitter. drop the penny. If you get arrested, uh, we will bail you out. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, wait, no. Just look up no, the sorry. ordinances. Not, yeah. No, no, I'm not supposed to say that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Don't. First off, <laughs> you have to pay to like go to the top of the Empire State Building, too. I think you have to... There's an, have you ever been to New York? No. No, okay. I was there years I've ago. I've barely been out of California. Yeah, well, I was there years ago, about 16 years ago. Like, the elevator that you ride... To mm-hmm. the top goes at like fifty miles an hour. It is insane how fast this elevator goes. At least it feels like it's fifty miles an hour, and you know it's like a hundred floors. It yeah. Feels like, like eighty floors. It's a very high number of floors uh, to get up there. And I, I have a problem with heights, so it's like it very much like I'm edging toward doors. We're going on the ledge. <laughs> hey Brian, check out the viewfinders. Oh, that's 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 great. I'm just gonna look over here. Well, we will be covering doors in our much desired episode of Brian's fears, which we will do at one point in the future no we're not (laughs) nope we had this conversation the other day it's not gonna happen it's not going to happen um not going to happen in my happy place right now (laughs) speaking of of famous cities though and myths to go along with them Mm -hmm. how about london you have this certain image of London, right? Uh, and you, it's very much romanticized by Sherlock Holmes, for example. The the uh, the oh, the fog. Yeah, the fog. Exactly, London yeah. fog, kind of rolling around the streets and such. You know, it's all over the place. And more often than not, though, the fog that people are really talking about, at least at the time of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, was not fog caused by the environment. It was occasionally. You know, you do get fog in London sometimes, you know, caused by weather. Uh, but to be totally honest, it's usually London smog. Oh, so it was pollution. Yeah, it was this nasty right. post-industrialization soup that was left over. Oh, God. Uh, the so-called pea soup fog that was yellow right? yeah. in color. It was disgusting. And what better way to attract people to say, oh, it's quite quaint, actually. It's quite lovely fog. It's not at all yellow or pea soup in color. And uh, it's it's a nice little uh, bit of propaganda. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Never knew that, no. Of course, it's much better these days. So the only fog you're going to get in London today is the occasional actual fog that's created. But that's usually on the outskirts of the city. Uh, the temperature and elevation on the inside of the city doesn't cause for a whole lot of fog to get in that far. Now, you're more likely to get fog up north, I imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And when you're closer to the English Channel. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. close, but, you know, much closer on onto the coast. Sure. So while we're in London for the moment, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, railways. Okay. And we, you know, of course, associate trains all around the world, but do you think that trains were, were built, or re- I should say railways were built specifically for trains? Um, I would assume so, yeah. Yeah, why else would you need them, right? Sure. Only it turns out that that's not entirely true. Well, I guess you um, use them for mining, too, but... That's exactly it. Yeah. Well done. In 1602, uh, the first such of these uh, railways were actually being constructed out of uh, wood uh, and were being done so at Newcastle upon the Tyne in England. And hmm. they were being used to transport uh, the coal straight from the mines to the ships that would be awaiting them at the harbor uh, to load the coal onto the ships. Oh, uh, Okay. Yeah, so that's when you actually find that first kind of system being so, uh, set up. And then, of course, that became iron later and eventually steel. Once it was hardened steel, that's when you found it uh, finally being used for the steam engines and the railways. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. While we're still in England, let's talk about Jack the Ripper a little bit. Okay. <laughs> what do you think Jack the Ripper's proper name was? Because Jack is short, right? Jack is short for usually John. No. No? Jack is not short for John. It's actually short for Jacques. So Jacques the Ripper, though, doesn't quite have the same same sound to it. But yeah, apparently it is it is the short version of Jacques, uh, which is a very common French name. Right, right, right. I've also heard that Jack can be a kind of a nickname for people whose name is John. Yeah, but they're doing it wrong. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, there's times that John F. Kennedy was referred to as Jack Kennedy. I know. Yeah. And even our president was doing it wrong. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, Jack is not meant as a proper short name for John. It can be, I guess, for, for Jonathan or John, but uh, it's actually meant to be for Jacques. 
Johnny uh, is oftentimes uh, associated with John as the as the pet name for John. Of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I always wonder that too because I I never really found the connection between Jack and John. Well, it's like Henry too. Henry, you can go Harry or you can go Hank. Can you? You can. I don't know. I don't have any information on that. Yeah. But I thought I thought it was interesting. It is a little interesting. I thought you were going to talk about like, do we know any any misnomers about you know? No, he wasn't actually a serial killer. No, he was actually a <laughs> he's actually a, a ventriloquist. <laughs> And he, he traveled around England uh, and became associated uh, with murder quite incorrectly when he, on stage, got extremely upset at one of his dolls, who he then threw to the ground, began stabbing uh, with a, you know, a, a knife that he had found on stage, and, uh, and was known as, uh, as, as Jack the Ripper because it was such a ripoff to have gone and seen the show. That may be fake. <laughs> That's totally a fake. <laughs> As we all know. They, it was fun, though. Yeah. Yeah. We all know why Jack the Ripper is called the Ripper. And it's unfortunately due to the gruesome details of his murders. So, Yeah, and his his nervous fascination with ripping up pieces of paper. Is that a joke? There might be a joke in there somewhere. It's oh. not particularly funny. <laughs> okay, I heard this one quite a while ago. And I always thought this was true for some reason. And now looking back on it, I just kind of feel dumb. You've heard of lemmings before, right? Yeah. Little rodent-type guys. They actually are prone to commit suicide. No, I didn't You've never heard this before? No, I've never heard this. Okay, I, I think it's just because of the amount of British television that I watch. For some reason, this is kind of an ongoing joke in England, but uh, that lemmings commit suicide, and that lemmings are so dumb that they, they start running, and they keep running, and they all run together, and if they run towards a cliff... Uh, they oh, just that's where the term lemming comes from. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But it's not true at all. Uh, apparently, lemmings are quite smart, and they know how to stay away from cliffs. And I have absolutely no idea. So if one dumb lemming runs off, that, all these guys say you're lemming. dumb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, but apparently, lemmings are not prone to commit suicide. Do you know where that came from at all? Is there any insight into that? Uh, yeah, actually, apparently it was... <laughs> this is great. Uh, it came from the Encyclopedia uh, Britannica. Uh, oh, really? The, the 14th edition, volume 13, page 905, and it's very uh, specific in that it states uh, that they descend in countless multitudes and proceed in a straight line until they reach the sea, into which they plunge and are drowned. <laughs> and uh, for this reason, it is stated that they are, in fact, uh, prone to, to suicidal actions. And I, you know, it's it's quite ridiculous. So let me ask you this. I'm going to go back to this cracked article for a second. What is one of the more famous attributes about Albert Einstein's uh, childhood? About Albert Einstein's childhood? Well, I've always heard that he wasn't able to tie his own shoes, but uh, that was because of his his great genius, that uh, the little tasks that escaped him. Well, I'm sure there's that too, but what else? He was a patent clerk? He was, a, he was a, a patent clerk at a young age. age. <laughs> certain age. Um, okay. Oh, oh, oh okay. That he uh, he was actually <laughs> he wasn't very good in math class. Yeah, and that is a total lie, as it turns out. Do you know where that lie is propagated from? Stephen Hawking. No. Okay. <laughs> no. Unless, of course, you listen or watch the epic rap battles of history, then you can believe that all you want. <laughs> Quite an awesome episode, by yeah, the nice way. Yeah, Nice Peter is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, if you you Nice Peter, if you were listening to our podcast, that is awesome, by the way, and we love you. So. <laughs> Uh, help us out, please. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, this actually comes from the 1935 uh, edition of Ripley's Believe It or Not trivia column. Really? Really. So apparently Robert Ripley was known for stating facts from things that he had read somewhere. Or he remember, <laughs> or he remember hearing from someone. Okay. And he never actually cited them at all. <laughs> Shocking. So, and this was one of them. In fact, Einstein was brilliant at math. Rightfully so, considering he developed the theory of relativity. <laughs> it would make sense, don't you think? Um, th that's the kind of advanced knowledge of math that you don't just develop overnight. Uh, you, know, um, you know, unless, of course, you're like bitten by a radioactive math problem or something. <laughs> <laughs> radioactive equation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But um, though the one thing that is probably more likely true is that his schools were actually keeping him back. Mm. So he may have just been bored. More than anything. And so his parents just bought him some advanced math books to study at home. 
he may have flunked math in the sense that he just didn't pay attention because he was bored. Yeah. But not because he was incapable of understanding what they were doing. Pretty much the same reason I got C's throughout most of high school is I, I just... Are you I trying to say you're homework. like Einstein? Uh, I'm exactly like Einstein. Have you seen my hair without product in it? <laughs> I have seen your hair without product in it. Actually, I think it needs a little more. Just go pull it all out in all directions, then you're good to go. You could totally do Einstein for Halloween. You know, I'm actually quite frightened because my hair is starting to go gray. And I've noticed that the silvery gray parts kind of are really scraggly and like stick out. I'm really afraid that I'm going to go completely gray and look like Einstein. Yeah. Well, you still have the whole beard, right? You have to shave off the, the beard and just have the mustache to really do it. You should do it once, though. I'm just kind of curious <laughs> to see what happens. To wear a mustache? No one wants to see that. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> I look really creepy. I, I still want to see it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I look like I belong in a 1970s erotic film. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we can, we have to talk about this because there's got to be some sort of compromise <laughs> that we, we can do with this because... Maybe, just, maybe we'll make it like a listener challenge on an upcoming episode. We'll think about it. We'll, we'll, we'll sit on it. Okay, if you have a suggestion, a reason why I should wear a mustache, and it's got to be a really good one. I mean, we, we, you got to come up with a contest or something like that. Go ahead and, and, uh, and write the show and, and let us know, and I, I might just do it. There you have it, folks. You heard it right there. <laughs> uh, I will say one thing about Albert Einstein, which is not a myth at all, but it's actually one of my little favorite factoids about him. Uh, that when he became an American citizen, when he was there uh, to be sworn in, uh, he didn't wear socks. He wore shoes without socks that day. Oh, yeah. Maybe he just left them in the dryer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they had dryers back then, did they? Maybe he left them on the clothesline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of scientists, though, this correct article also mentions um, the famous story of Isaac Newton. Right. So what do we know about Isaac Newton? Uh, well, of course, he is uh, the bringer of the theory of gravity. And that's right. It's a theory, right? It is a theory of gravity. Some people call it the law of gravity, and it is not a law. It is a theory. Yeah, we don't exactly... We, we know what gravity's effects are. Right. Uh, and we can measure gravity, and we know that it exists, but we don't know exactly how it exists. Yeah, this dude is amazing. He invented calculus. Um, he figured out the visible spectrum of light, the laws of motion. Lots of amazing things that we base most of our scientific reasoning off of. But now, what was the crux of that theory of gravity what, what was the the aha moment as it were oh well it's the one of the most iconic moments in science of course when he is uh, sitting beneath an apple tree and all of a sudden one releases and falls upon his head mm-hmm. and he has aha this is caused by gravity yes and it never happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's intriguing he had all these theories and he spent years and years you know troubling over them um but there was never that moment that was just pure fancy that's all it was. You know, I believe that there has to be some sort of group of, um, of fanatic arborists out there <laughs> that have existed for th- hundreds of years who have been propagating myths surrounding trees with very significant and important people. Who do we have so far? We have George Washington and the cherry tree. We have Sir Isaac Newton and the apple. I'm telling you, there's some sort of conspiracy. Well, let me tell you a little bit about where this came from. So the guy, this guy named John Conduit, uh, who first told the story about 60 years after he first had heard that it's supposedly happening. Uh, and this was published, of course, after Newton's death, so go figure. <laughs> there was no one able to contest it. But um, the quote is, Whilst he was musing in a garden, it came to, into his thought that the power of gravity, which brought an apple from the tree to the ground, was not limited to the certain distance from the earth, but that it, uh, this power must extend much further. So, at best, it was an imaginative theory. But it was like the, the apple fell on his head, though, hmm. as the famous uh, image depicts. However, I will say that Apple Computer's logo is inspired from, well, the apple with the bite out of it is kind of like the tree of knowledge uh, business. But the original Apple logo was, in fact, the image of Newton sitting in front of a tree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yep. I have seen that before. Yeah. So, uh, modern parallel. There you go. Modern connection there. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Yes, indeed. I have two last things that I want to give you. You do? I want to come full circle really quick. Okay. One of my favorite myths, and I wish I had introduced it with England because it would have made more sense. Uh, more tea is drunk per capita in Britain than any other country in the world. That's not true? That's actually not true. Well, is, it, is it more tea is drinking in India than any? I thought that too. That yeah. was my first thought. But yeah. no. China? Uh, no. What? Okay, no. so the three biggest tea drinking countries countries in the world that we think of don't drink as much tea so it's the united states then so i'm just going to read this straight from the book okay because it just sounds 
perfect that way. Uh, tea consumption in the Republic of Ireland. Was oh, actually, that makes total sense. Seven point seven six pounds, or twelve hundred cups per head, in seven in nineteen seventy three, surpassing all other countries in the world, producing uh, official statistics, including yeah. Great Britain and North Ireland. So we're not even talking about the full extent. The, all of traditional Ireland. We're talking about the division of Ireland, and we're talking about the Republic of Ireland specifically. So the southern, which is the majority of the island, but not even its entire populace, though, which which just blows my mind. Yeah, uh, and that it was in fact twelve hundred cups of tea per head. That's crazy. So that's that's on average drinking four cups of tea a day. Yeah, I had my first cup of herbal tea in like seven years today. <laughs> that's true. I bought you. <laughs> I bought you it this morning. That's right. Um, well, you know, the, the way I think about it, though, having some semblance of Irish heritage left, um, the Irish actually are more obsessed with tea than the British are. Hmm. And the, the, bring me, the British love tea, but they're much, much more serious about it in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, and that actually makes total sense. I can't believe I hadn't thought of that before. Now, when you think of holding on to the banister of a stair rail, you know, of a staircase, what are you holding on to? Wood. But you're holding on to the to the to what you would think is the banister, right? Sure. Okay. It's not though. It's in fact the banister uh, are the protruding parts that you know connect from the handrail to the bottom of the stair. Seriously. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I thought that was far more interesting. I had always assumed. I, I just you know it's it's, All right. it's a misnomer. All right. No, it's okay. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to close? Yeah. As you can tell, history is full of all these interesting factoids that either got you know, messed up around the way, along the way, or just totally false. But yet, they've become accepted by us for whatever reason. And sometimes the legend is more important than the fact. Uh, in the case of George Washington, the goal was to give a, a morality tale that was uniquely American, right? To give something to the American people that was original to them. That they could strive toward. Um, but some of them, actually, they really, it is important that we recognize the truth of the matter, like with Marie Antoinette. Absolutely. Or with Nero, even though Nero wasn't that great of a guy. Those truths about them shed a little more light into who they were as people. Sure. You know? And let's not forget, you know, the underlying influence of this secret society of arborists who are trying to control the world uh, through these make-believe tree stories. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> This was interesting. I always love doing these little factoid episodes. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. They're they're a nice little diversion from uh, from what we usually do. And uh, listeners, I hope that you had a good time learning or perhaps uh, validating any knowledge that you had uh, before listening to this episode. Uh, I certainly learned a lot in doing research for it. In fact, I have tons, tons more that I could do. I think we're going to have to save this again for a future episode. I certainly agree. And guys, uh, please, if you are interested in learning more about this, you can look at the books we found on um, iBooks, and uh, I think they're available just through Amazon as well. Uh, absolutely, yeah. What was your book again? Uh, this is The Book of Common Fallacies. I won't give you the entire uh, title, but it is written by, uh, uh, originally penned by one author and then uh, contributed on by uh, by another, uh, this being Philip Ward and Julia Edwards. Right. My book was History's Greatest Lies by William Weir, though more I referred to uh, more often to the cracked article, The Five Most Ridiculous Things That You Were Taught in History Class. If you Google those, you'll I guarantee you'll get the right article. Fun, entertaining, the guy who writes it uh, is a brilliant writer. He makes yeah. it sound so funny as he does it. And he uses a little more profanity than we usually do <laughs> on this podcast to do it, too. Um, also, hey, uh, don't take our word for it, right? You can look at these sources, look them on Wikipedia, look them up on uh, the Go to the Library, and uh, prove us wrong, please. We want Absolutely. And if you have a, uh, a common fallacy that you'd like to share with us that you want us to give a shout-out on on a future episode, yeah. uh, please go ahead and contact us. You have many ways to do so, such as our website, nerdonomy.com. Or, of course, on Twitter, right? Absolutely. In fact, you can tweet me, you twits, at the Brickmont. And you can also tweet me at Brian Moriarty, B-R-Y-A-N-M-O-R-I-A-R-T-Y. Not Brian Mariachi. No, not at all. <laughs> and of course, we have our general one. You can get us at Nerdonomy. Well, sir, I shall see you next week. Tune in next time. Same nerd time. Same nerd channel. 